0: We just were failing in every regard to make emerging technology interesting, 5G, digital twins, the buzzwords of today. And Eva rang from Holiday and she goes, I've got an idea, let's let's write a creative story. And my initial reaction was, that's really cool. My second reaction was sheer panic that we had six weeks to do that. From Inform, this is Buzz IT Talk, a show about tech buzzwords, trends, and the stories behind the hype, helping you go beyond the buzz. Okay, guys, welcome to uh, episode four, season two um, of Buzz IT Talk. Well, we're looking at uh, the year 2038, and when I say we're, uh, we've got uh, something special today. Uh, we've got uh, a familiar face joining us. I'll go with familiar voice. Familiar voice, thanks <laughs> uh, for those of you familiar with season one of of Buzz IT Talk. That's David Weaver. Uh, David's decided to join the Inform family again, which gives us the distinct pleasure of being able to have him on board as the uh, as a guest host uh, on uh, a few topics along the way.
1: Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, supporting anywhere I can with the podcast. It was a lot of fun creating back in 2018, and I'm enjoying uh, watching the progress of the podcast, how it's developed, and um, yeah, again, looking forward to contributing. So today we, we've got David on board because uh, we're gonna flip roles a little bit, uh, but I'll let David take it from here. Okay, good. Today's interview is um, a little bit different. We've got Matthew on the other side of the questions, usually hosting, but today receiving the questions, also joined by IFA. And they're co-authors of a book, 2038, A Smart Port Story. So maybe uh, you guys can just introduce yourselves briefly. We'll s- start with Matthew.
0: Uh, yeah, so the listeners certainly know who I am, Matthew Vittemeyer. <laughs> uh, I'm in my official role today as the marketing manager for logistics division at Inform.
2: Yeah, my name is Ivar Zavelsberg, and I'm in my official role, as Matthew said um svp of the logistic division of inform and we are both know now today here because we wrote this book together yeah. so um yeah to give you a bit of insight perhaps in regard to the why did it come to life yeah and how was this quite creative process
1: yeah that's perfect so this book how did it come to life and uh A lot of creativity goes into writing a book and a lot of people want to write books but never get around to it. So can you first share a little bit about your experience, the writing experience, before we jump into the details of the book?
2: I guess it started out, um, we were, Matthew and me were thinking for lectures and stuff about um, how can we introduce new technologies, our vision of what is coming up and what might be important for port industry. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of conferences where also the discussions came up by members of unions, for example, how can we prepare our people? What will be the impact in the future? And I knew that I would have in fall a keynote. And I was thinking, oh, I just don't want to do just a dry presentation. So I was thinking about how how could we make it more vivid, make it more open up the horizon of everyone, us included. And so I was on vacation, which is always good. I was sitting there having a look at this nice ocean. It was warm. And I thought, just let's do a crime story, because then you can tackle all those different aspects of technology, society, and you can also open up your own mind and get creative about it. So I think we never talked so much as we did during my vacation. So between actually Curaçao and Germany, we were going back and forth to see how would it work and how could we go ahead with it and which characters we think to start out with. So yeah, so we teamed up a bit.
0: If I think back, we, we actually started writing a technical paper and it on the third or fourth draft, and I like to think we're actually quite good at writing interesting technical papers, but we just were failing in every regard to make emerging technology interesting, 5G, digital twins, the buzzwords of today. And Eva rang from Holiday and she goes, I've got an idea, let's, let's write a creative story. And my initial reaction was, that's really cool. My second reaction was sheer panic that we had six weeks to do that. But we gave it a go. And in the end, through the ups and downs, it worked out quite well for us.
1: Okay, so you mentioned these technologies. What would be some of the technologies you addressed in the book that the listeners would be familiar with?
0: We started with 5G. Uh, 5G in the book gets to 8G, which uh, sort of is this proliferation of the removal of wired communications. So in that 2038 world, there's no real wires unless you go to sort of um, lower socioeconomic areas. We looked a lot at AR and VR, so augmented reality and virtual reality, and and where they're likely to get to in 20 years' time. Um, VR in particular comes to be a very central technology theme um, in how ports operate in the future, uh, and even how the main character, Douglas, interacts with the people around him, the technology that he needs to interact with. So, for instance, in part two, he's reviewing security footage and instead of just sitting at a screen, he's in a completely immersive virtual reality environment. And I think the other technology, which I'll let Eva pick up on and and certainly reinforces what we do here at InForm, was artificial intelligence.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of, actually kind of that's a center point of the whole story, Um, how let's say, the human race will be supported by artificial intelligence, how we can interact in general with um, artificial intelligence, and also uh, how could artificial intelligence evolve. That's a very speculative thing to talk about. Nobody knows. So we are in a way, although it's already around for quite a while, for decades, actually, it's still for us a black box because you can still expect it will be um, very bright and we might be sooner or later the ones following this intelligence or it will stay as a very potent but still a tool. We are kind of um, having the power to make use of. So we don't know. But still with like ports business, it will have a decisive role in the future to support humans in their decision-making process and also to help just in daily operations to be smarter, to be more efficient. And um, But then all this comes into it, um, um, as you already talked about, that a lot of work might be done remotely. Mm-hmm. So you have the possibility and perhaps also um, the ecological chance that that might reduce... Um, CO2, because people can work from wherever they are. But all this will also have an impact on society, because people have to be better trained. They have to know how to use technologies. They have to be at ease with it. And since it doesn't matter where those persons are, um, you have a lot of competition in a way. And that might open up a gap between people who have this education And people who might not be able to participate in this education, even if they might have originally the competency to do it, but still perhaps life doesn't go the way so you can um, join in. And that, again, might um, trigger social unrest as Mm. every evolution, let's say, technical evolution or social evolution ever had. It might have a good part, but it for sure also has a difficult part.
1: Yeah, and this is actually directly addressed in the book, and you refer to them as the anti-techs. So the anti-techs as a group um, and later as individual characters in the book, they really come forward in the story. Um, They're very significant in this world that you've created in 2038. Why? I think... um... Firstly, I would call it
0: anti-tech, but I'm, that, that's my perhaps British English uh, background, anti-tech, anti-tech. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think they're a bit reflective of the state of our industry in the first place. Eva mentioned earlier that um, automation is something that's been around for decades, but it's sort of just coming into its, its golden years, if you will. We're sort of figuring out how automation works in maritime. Um, And the byproduct is a traditionally very labor-intensive industry is slowly becoming automated uh, to sort of the 85, 90% realm. And there's a lot of jobs that are disappearing, right? And there is massive pushback within our industry with the labor unions, particularly the, the Steve Doors, the shoremen, the people that are driving cranes. When those jobs get replaced, they get really sort of upset in general, and rightly so. I mean, losing a job psychologists say is on kin with losing a loved one, you you suffer the same sort of psychological um, disruptions. And if you're not in a position to be retrained uh, or to be reeducated, or if you're coming from a lower socioeconomic background and you don't have access to the technologies that enable um, some of the more um, affluent individuals in society, I think it's a logical outcome that you will see protesting and pushback against a system that uh, is largely seen to be alienating you. Um, It also turned out to be a really good villain uh, in the story, Uh, an easy scapegoat, although I won't give too much away.
2: Um,
1: Yeah, without giving too much away, maybe you can just give a brief overview of the storyline. What are we looking at here? Okay, so
0: uh,
1: Eva's gesture for yeah. me. So, uh,
2: so his English <laughs> is nicer to give the brief overview, I guess.
0: Uh, in a nutshell, there's been an incident at the port of Reykjavik. Um, oh, I was
1: wondering, the whole time I read, I was like, how do you really pronounce that?
0: I probably even have that wrong. We, okay. we could ask the Icelanders <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. uh, when we see them next month. Okay. Um, there's been an incident at the port of Reykjavik where an automated guided vehicle or in our industry AGV um, is... Uh, unfortunately struck a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, And that human being's in critical condition. No one knows if they're gonna live or survive. No one knows who it is. Um, And a specialist uh, Interpol agent, Douglas, uh, is called in. He just happens to be on a technology retreat at the Blue Lagoon. Mm -hmm. Um, And his boss calls him in and says, well, unfortunately, you are the specialist in dealing with anti-tech matters. Um, He's sort of evolved in his career to be the guy who uh, is able to diffuse those situations quite efficiently, mm-hmm. uh, so begrudgingly he leaves his uh, his technology free retreat uh, and hands out to the porch in an autonomous vehicle, and then the story sort of unfolds the under the 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 guise of a crime mystery of, you know, how does Douglas solve that? Um, I don't want to say murder, but I don't want to not say murder. Uh, How does he solve that mystery? Uh, And over the course of three parts, um, we get to a conclusion that hopefully the end um, reader doesn't see coming. That's for me a sign of good writing. Um, But we, through that journey, we explore a lot of the emerging technologies uh, as they would impact ports. That's sort of part one. Part two starts to look at some of those societal elements that Eva mentioned earlier. I think we both realized when we finished part one that just writing about a ton of technology, whilst that's interesting for us, I think what the medium really allowed us to do is see that when you think forward 10, 20 years in the future to the evolution of technology, it gives you this creative freedom to think about what the impact is on society. And actually those were some of the more interesting questions Um, which we sort of felt really compelled in part two and subsequently part three to explore. Technology still underrides all of those, um, but it's those societal issues that technology causes uh, that gets explored quite a bit.
2: Mm -hmm. And also um, being a scientist myself, from my, let's say, earlier background at least, um, you're always in between what's the right decision. You're always going for... um, okay, that might push industry, society further ahead. Mm -hmm. But what's the other side of the the picture? Mm -hmm. So what are the drawbacks and how do I have to position myself? Mm -hmm. What questions will come up? And it's always entangled, the technical and the um, social questions. It always is. You always have to look at the society, technology, at the organization, at what does it mean to humans. Mm-hmm. And I'm also doing um, a lecture or I'm lecturing at the university. So it's, it's innovation management in international freight transportation. But I always try to get these engineers to a position where, where they start to think about what do I want and what do I think is good and how do I want to position myself and how could I define what can I bring to the table, mm-hmm. and where do I have to take care of others, which might be affected? So that's really interesting to see their um, their process in gaining this um, this awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. So, taking care of people, ethical type of things. This is, is a theme throughout the book. I mean, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned, Matthew, an uh, automated vehicle hitting a human. Who's responsible in that case? And there were a lot of different things. Uh, so, the responsibility of technology companies um, how, how is that playing a role together um, with the technology they're producing, the different uh, social structures? and then the political world as well. So this is kind of like a a big theme in the book that that I came across.
0: It definitely is. Uh, It's introduced in the first part. Uh, You're introduced to the European Legal Force for AI Responsibility, or ELAIR for short, like any good technology, we've got to create an acronym. Um, ELAIR essentially is a combination of politicians, big business, um, thought leaders from academia coming together to try to figure out where... You know, over the course of the evolution of AI, we're already starting to see that with machine learning today. Um, For instance, in our product, we've done some machine learning algorithms that can dynamically adjust the parameters for optimization algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. Our current status is that a human needs to check that. But Mm -hmm. there's nothing technologically stopping us from allowing the machine learning AI to feed that directly back into the algorithm, AI, which takes optimization calculations, and to create this sort of machine-driven loop. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, there's some questions around, you know, do you know how you're getting what you get Mm -hmm. in two, three, four, five months' time? Let's put those aside. The bigger question is if something goes wrong, who's responsible? Is it us, the company who's coded those algorithms? Or is it the algorithms themselves, because they're dynamically changing over time? Is it the company who paid for it? And today, I don't think there's any, no. any legal framework, okay. roughly speaking, um, that addresses those questions. And they're going to be very prominent questions in the next decade.
1: Yeah, and you foresee in 2038 that it's still a gray zone, huh? So uh, maybe, maybe uh, some advice that uh, we might need to get started in that area.
2: And also Inform in general takes care that all the um, AI algorithms we use are still transparent for us. Mm -hmm. And also the kind of decision making can be always re-engineered so that we know why it it came to the conclusion it did. And I think that will be definitely a topic of the future, not to have huge black box systems where you just can't pinpoint how... Did this chain start and evolve? Um, so I think that's important where to position yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, through the creative process of, of getting from the start of let's write a creative story to the end, which you know, was the, the last few words written about four weeks ago now, two weeks ago, um, even I, I said earlier, we had our ups and downs through that process working as co-authors. There's many disagreements on which direction the book should be going and what the plot should look like. And I think, for instance, this notion of whether AI should be a black box, shouldn't be a black box, or whether it should be, mm-hmm. um, we actually raised that in our Second keynote, uh, earlier this year when we presented part two, we interviewed the main AI character, Athena, live on stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We took the audience 20 years into the future, uh, and we explored that sort of notion with her from an AI from 20 years in the future's perspective. And one of the points that she brings up is it's kind of naive for, firstly, humans to think that they need to control AI. Uh, AIs should be designed in a way that that has an end goal and if that end goal is to let's say run a port efficiently it's not in her interest to get rid of humans so you know this fear of ai taking over is that really or not understanding how it achieves what it achieves is that really so justified um, i was doing some reading yesterday around artificial intelligence and where uh, this sort of exponential growth curve that's predicted for it that right now it's sort of at the level of a stupid monkey uh, mm-hmm. but sort of in There's no set time frame, a lot of people say in the next five to seven years, others say 50 years, but it'll eventually get to the point where it's sort of on par with us. But the next step, when it goes from what's called general artificial intelligence or equal to humans, is super artificial intelligence. And they argue, uh, leading scholars argue, that the jump from general artificial intelligence to being far superior than us will be a matter of, of Possibly minutes I've read, uh, or hours, days, um, and we'll never. Once we get there, we'll never be able to think as fast as those machines. So we have to accept that if we want that, it's going to be a black box. And um, of course, that raises the question: Do we actually
1: want that? Which is some of the things that we explore in the story. Mm-hmm. So the the book is heavily port focused, but I found it quite interesting. I don't have a big connection to ports at the moment. So it's really actually for a wider audience. Wouldn't you agree? It has
2: it has all those different levels yeah. or layers. It yeah. has this layer so that we are in a way catchy for people from the port business because they have this pay-per-use hardware infrastructure, this transformers aspect and stuff. So they will be gripped yeah. to read it yeah. because they can relate to it. Then it has this layer, let's say, of a general audience which just might enjoy the mystery and where it leads to and then it also might have this layer of a scientist who is torn between what were my beliefs and did they turn evil and how can i um, kind of bring the ghost back in the bottle and um, bring good again into the world although it's always um, how to say reflecting differently. Mm-hmm. So something evil might be good, might be evil, might be good. So, yeah. I, but I guess that's what the life, in a way, of scientists is. Yeah. And um, so you have this level as well, and then you have might also have this level of um, of those different characters, and in a way as well to have this. Um, although it's a bit hidden in the story, but you have this aspect of diversity. So we really tried to push um, that you don't end up all with the same kind of characters, but Mm -hmm. to have it a bit mixed as kind of we envision the future. Mm -hmm. And this part we can mention or not. Actually, Douglas was a lady. It was. (laughs) It was. But Matthew and his colleagues told me nobody will read a story with a lady in the leading role. So I thought, okay,
0: come on, guys. Let's leave this part in. (laughs) That's not quite what we said. We said that market research suggests that you should make your main character the same gender as your target market. And the reasoning for that is it's easier for you to self-identify with the main character. Mm -hmm. So given that terminal logistics (laughs) is roughly like 90% men, um, we did Convince Eva to allow us to make Douglas the main character a man. Um, but I think women in the book get a very better fair a good shake.
2: Fair sh- yeah,
0: definitely.
2: Um, and it made it easier to bring uh, later in the story um, quite some strong characters in. And with this setup, it worked nicely. Mm-hmm. So I was, I say, in a better mood. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You mentioned, Matthew, just now, the AI uh, status of today is, I think your words were of a a dumb, a stupid monkey. Stupid monkey. monkey. Okay. But anyways, it is, is, it's out there, it's being used. What would be some, it's a port focused book, what would be some examples of AI being used today? Some concrete examples within ports?
2: Today we have it uh, in optimization algorithms, so what we do operations research actually is an AI tool. AI is a broad, broad expression, let's say, and there's a lot fit under it. So if you consider operations research, and you can, as an AI um, science, we are doing this already for quite a while. And we use this for optimizing handling of equipment, routing of equipment, stacking containers in a just more efficient way. And it always gives you, it has a look at the problem, and the problem must have quite a bit of variables. And then you can just arrange those that you have a most efficient way to deal with, as I said, routing, stacking, whatever. And AI in terms of, for example, machine learning would have a look at historical data Mm -hmm. and analyze those and say, okay, what is probably the outcome or what those data suggests the future will be. So you could train your system, then take some more recent data, for example, it depends how you design it and test your um, machine learning algorithms with those more recent data and see if it works well. And if, if it gives you a prediction or a transparency, which actually reflects what you can see in daily life. Mm -hmm. And you can use, again, those um, conclusions to feed them into optimization models, into operations research models. So you have a kind of AI chain. Mm -hmm. You have something to analyze um, the history, to predict the future, and then you have the nice thing about operations research kind of to make your strategy happen to pick up this outcome and say, okay, and if I want to influence this outcome, and if I want to take it a step further, I implement operations research Mm -hmm. algorithms. And this part with OR, we do for quite a while. For machine learning, um, that's pretty new. And actually it's, I mean, there are little um, initiatives in the industry to make use of machine learning, But it's not so easy, Mm -hmm. even if you have um, the people who have, let's say, a solid knowledge about machine learning. That's still not a guarantee for I can make it work. Mm -hmm. Because you need a quite unique ability set of knowing the mathematics, knowing the industry, and knowing how to bridge academics, science, whatever you want to call it, and reality. How can I bring it into the operations as my customer needs it? Mm -hmm. And due to to our experience in so many markets, we really have, let's say, this unique triangle of abilities. We know the mathematics, the science, we know the industry, and we know how to bridge it and how to make it work.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting back to Douglas (laughs) in 2038... The story is complete. Are we going to see Douglas again anytime soon?
2: I guess, Matthew, and I have to rest a bit. Okay. <laughs> Our creative muscles. Yeah. And never say never, right? Mm-hmm.
0: There's definitely interest. I know that uh, Douglas is... Uh, there's some interest in Douglas appearing in an airport. Okay. Um, but um, as Eva said, it, it, it takes it takes a lot of time, but more than time and and, and financial resources to write something like 2038 it takes a huge amount of energy Uh, and and it's not easy to explain that Uh, perhaps the easiest way I can say that is uh, when you need to write something that's creative quite often that's when you can't be creative Mm. Um, there was entire weeks where I would disappear from the office and end up at coffee shops in Aachen um, because it was quiet and it's sort of the right environment to just punch out chapters um, and you don't necessarily write them sequentially. Um, there would be, I remember one one moment I, I just I literally rang my colleague Dirk and said Dirk I'm not coming into the office today and I was at home for the entire day writing um, the Grisella chapters in part two. Uh, you're introduced to the academic character Grisella uh, and, and the, the inspiration sort of hit me that morning when I woke up and it was You just had to do that. So, um, you know, there's there's byproduct to what your day-to-day job is to write something like that. But then for me personally as well, there was nights where I was in the city working and not going home to see my family for, let's say, a week or two on end. But to me, it was worth it ask my wife if it was worth it. I don't know, we had to end up with somewhere else and ask Eve if it was worth it, I don't know.
2: Yeah, and I think it's kind of also the essence of what I'm thinking about for, I don't know, 25 years or Mm -hmm. something like that. Because I was also early on working on this whole topic of truck platoons and how can they be made possible from a technical point of view. And we were talking with truck drivers, with People, how do they feel if such a pl- platoon will just um, come by and stuff? So it's, it's a long chain or it's a long time to think and to bring it together. Yeah. So I think you can't just easily transfer it. You have to gather a new story in yourself. And I guess you might even do that without knowing. But I think Douglas should be in a position or we should um, give him, I don't know, the grace or how would you say, um, give him the respect, not only to handle him as a marketing instrument and just to transfer him into another environment because, I don't know, I, I wouldn't like that too much.
1: He, he needs to have his vacation at the Blue Lagoon yeah, right, and right. enjoy a little yeah. bit of time, I guess, yeah. uh, first and then see how it develops. Right. Um, so the story is... For me, I thought it was very interesting, very creative, very easy to read, and and very relatable because the technologies you mention, we all know them today. And you've just so it's not a typical sci-fi book where we're talking about things totally fake or whatever. So that I'm, I'm not a big sci-fi fan, but this one I really liked. So, firstly, where would you have? Where can people read it?
0: Um, so the easiest way to get to it is if you go to the Buzz IT Talk website for this episode there'll be a link to where you can download parts one and part two part three will become available uh towards the end of november okay uh, once it's actually officially released uh, which will happen the first week of november okay um but then our publishing partner of course has some rights to uh, distribute that uh, before we can make it available
1: all right so we'll make sure the listeners get access perfect thank you both for your time
2: thanks a lot for having us
1: yeah pleasure thanks david for popping back in and uh,
0: sure. taking the reins. As always, you can find links to many of the resources we used in preparing for this episode on the Buzz IT Talk website as well as contact details for our guests. Buzz IT Talk was brought to you by Inform. It's produced by Kai Kepner, Luisa Valendi, and myself, Matthew Wittmeyer Our post-production is done by the talented Jenny Neustrus with special help from Sabina Volter and Thomas Bergmans. Learn more about Buzz IT Talk at buzzittalk.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can subscribe for regular podcast updates at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matthew Wittemeyer. Thanks for listening.